Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. This is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Alden. My guest today is Gina Gallo from the Gallo Winery in California, uh, an icon in wine and your family name. Everybody knows your family's name throughout the world. You can go anywhere in the world. Everybody's heard of Gallo. What is the secret of your success, your family's success? Oh, Monty, well, thank you for having me on. It's oh, a pleasure. Quickly, I would say my our heritage, the, the founders, my grandfather, Julio, my great-uncle, Ernest. So where are they from? Their parents were from Piemonte, so not far from here. So we definitely have that Italian blood in us, and we still feel it. So when did they arrive in the States, then? They, they came in uh, the 1800s. So they were born in 1910, mm-hmm. 1910, 1912, but their parents came um, in the mid to the late 1800s, okay. yes, to the States. So, but they were, they're the reason. They're the foundation they began, which was interesting. A lot of the Italian immigrants, you know, were farmers, but not, uh, not necessarily sales or marketing or businessmen so really great farmers so you've seen great growers yes so my grandfather Julio he had that side he loved the dirt he loved his organic garden he learned a lot through his organic garden but his brother Ernest my great uncle Ernest he loved to travel he loved to talk and he loved to um, find out what were people drinking what were they doing all over America and he came to found out, find out in 1933 when they started their family winery no one was really enjoying that much wine except for the immigrants so they had a big task introducing wine to the American public and so I think that their strengths were very different but they respected each other they worked hard they would debate I'm sure like crazy I know they did but they were complimenting each other didn't they I mean one, yeah. one in the vineyard effectively in terms of grape supply and one uh, going out and selling the finished wine yeah right? absolutely yeah. so a very strong team very strong team and I think that's a secret to our family winery is that um, even today is that respect because now we have the second generation which is still extremely involved third generation as well which is myself um, and our cousins and siblings and it's seeing how they worked hard together similar visions, but um, everyone talented in their own area and respecting those areas. Um, and, and you're still family owned, aren't you? Yes. I mean, it's incredible that you're, so you're, um, the current generation is how many generations? Three. Right, Third, so it's very working. unusual, isn't it, Third. to have, have it sort of survive? Yes. Um, and um, with all the sort of uh, the, the family bits and bobs. So how often do you get to Italy? I haven't been to Italy, the, the big wine event, since 2000. So it's been a while, but uh, I was in Italy five years ago. So when you sell, do you sell, I mean, obviously your base is in California, right? Yes. So, I mean, do you sell wine to Italy or we, are you mainly focus on the States? We do sell a little bit of wine in Italy, but more importantly, we work with some lovely Italian um, producers in Italy and we import to America because Americans love Italian wines. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that, that's been working extremely well. Do you work with any, obviously you've got your own vineyards, do you work with any Italian varietals in your vineyards? We do. I what, do. What the first got? wine I ever made was a Barbera. Really? Yes. That's great. It's so food friendly, isn't it? Oh, it's a lovely wine. Love it. And uh, Barbera is a wonderful wine, especially a grape, because it's high acidity, as you know. And where we grew up down in the valley, where it's um, more warm versus, say, Napa and Sonoma, where we are now with our premium wines, in the valley, very warm climate, and that Barbera holds its acidity. So it's a great uh, it's a great wine for down in the valley. So when you say in the valley, you mean the Central Valley, the California Central Valley, Central valley which yes. is pretty arid, isn't it? Yes. So it's one of the the secrets to your success been probably two is matching the right variety to the right conditions 
Yes. And then obviously selling. And then, that's the bit that often people forget, isn't it? In the wine grain, there's romance, but also it's a business. It's tough out there. And it's, uh, there's a lot of great wines out there. There's a lot of, um, you know, the, the positive there is there's a lot of people more and more enjoying wines and more and more enjoying the upper tier wines. So I think a great thing is we'll go back about 30 years, well, even earlier than that, Sonoma. My grandfather really believed someday some of the top end wines would be coming from Sonoma for us in California. Sonoma and Napa, and here today, there's still amazing areas. So I think progressively as a family being able to invest long term in those areas so now today with people enjoying these top end wines we're ready we have them we have the different vineyards to really create some of the top wines that can compete against the world so you know, it's I used a lot to, of fun I used to work for a guy called Walter Shook in Sonoma oh my and gosh. Walter uh, worked with your grandparents yes I think. yep he did Grape Supply exactly he told me some fantastic stories oh I love it about um, I mean it's tough you're I mean, too young no I'm uh, 50 <laughs> I was uh, I know I was in my mid 20s then okay learning and he was a great guy to learn from but when he talked about um your family i mean it's um you've got to, it, the romance of wine is one thing but you've got to be sharp in terms of business and you've got to nail down your grape suppliers to say listen this is the quality i want this mm-hmm. is what we're going to pay and this is how i want it delivered yeah you're exactly right yeah. he was very instrumental in the wine world too no it is it's a business I mean, even though it's agriculture and farming, but it is a business. So how, how hard is that shift or, or how easy is that shift that you're making from, say, the valley wines that are sort of maybe everyday wines to, to the more premium, super premium regions, as you mentioned, Sonoma, Napa, even, even possibly into Mendocino. How, how easy is that for you, given that um, there's pressure on land and vineyard prices are pretty high? How easy is it to tie people down either to buy land or to, to sign contracts with great growers? Well, fortunately, we started in the 70s purchasing land, so that helped tremendously because not everyone was thinking that was going to be the place for some of the top end wines so that you bring up a great point though so I think because of that we have some wonderful vineyards there exist from going far back and now we work with we still work with a lot of growers though that um, really help some of the different wines that we're creating at the um, say roughly $15 up to you know a hundred dollar bottle of wine but land is precious there's only so much land and oh, there's um, only so much water and, as well and there's only so much water we have some really cool things happening on the um, on that environmental side, though, as far as water, because we've worked with IBM, which was really interesting, and now we've created this technology that we're going to be able to save 45% of water on each of our properties, and that'll go out to other vineyards, which will be tremendous because so water how does that is, work, then? it monitors it um, monitors the uh, the moisture in the soil. And then also the environment around as far as the moisture outside the soil, the clouds, the moving, um, you know, weather patterns, things like that. And it's tremendous. And technology will transport into mechanically giving the water exactly the vine is, it needs at the right amount of time. So basically what so, you're saying is that the soil may seem, quotes dry, mm-hmm. but because the atmosphere is humid, the vine is okay. Exactly. And vice versa. So we're not just so quick as farmers to go turn on that water valve because, A, we don't have it, and, B, it's not good for the—we're seeing a huge improvement in the quality of the wine because it's more concentrated. How how stable is the super premium end in uh, what is, uh, again, a very competitive market? Yes, we've went through a, a three, boy, at least roughly three years of a great ride, a lot, a lot of um, growth happening in the premium end. This next couple of years, it's going to be a little bit more steady, a little bit more flat. Why? Because I think we've had such a great growth so fast that the market may be just a touch saturated, to say. But um, the positive is the big growth is $15 and above. So that entry-level wine lower, it's, you know, it's not really growing. They're reinventing themselves and reinventing, you know, 
whether it be labels or different flavors or different blends, blended wines, but the upper tier really has tremendous growth still potential to happen. But is that the question of people maybe drinking a little bit less often but investing in a better bottle of wine when they do drink? Or what, what, is, the, what is the demographic behind that? I think a little bit of both, but I also think you have this new generation that's coming out and they're not starting out with a $5 bottle of wine or $3.99 like us when we started. I mean, they're jumping right into the $15 bottle. Right. And then some, when they get excited about it, they're moving into a $30 bottle. So it's, um, and you see in universities now in America, and they're teaching people about wine. So I think more people are coming out understanding wine better than, say, maybe our generation was. And less fear um, factor. Yeah, and less fear factor. And in general, that gen- that's a great point because much more confidence. And they just, you know, I do what I want to do. I want to work the hours I want to work. I want to do, you know, it's it's very much that, uh, that confident uh, mentality, which is great. And I think that tremendously helps in their selection of buying wine. I think now also with technology, there's so many ways to get great information on wine. Right yeah, on your sure. iPhone, you can just look at it and see what it was rated or, you know, what was said about it. So I think that helps. Also in business. You sit down at a table and you enjoy wine and you discuss business. So I think that with the out, people coming out of the universities, that's why they're learning more about wine. Is because they know a lot can happen over a table, breaking bread. Right. So now for your competitors, we're in Italy today. So if I hired you as a consultant to the Italian wine growers to crack the U.S. market, whether it's the West Coast or the East Coast, what would your what would a couple of tips be for them? As far as creating some of the wines, yeah, or do you know, either starting them or, or labeling, presenting them, the media side, the social media side. What do they need to do to really? Well, the social media side is interesting, I would say, because it, when you look at Italy, it is extreme. Like you have a lot of different regions. You have a lot of, you know, and there's that famous saying: you put three winemakers in a room, forget about it. You put three Italian winemakers in a room, really forget about it right so I think the the power is coming together as a group as Italy or even as these different regions but some of them are small so it doesn't really work but I really think it's coming together as a group and it's Italian it's the Italian culture it's Italian wine and promoting it that way and having one voice but all really coming together to promote it I think hands down that will help tremendously because they already have a platform unlike the French I mean the Italians America loves Italy. Yeah, because there's so many they, Italian immigrants, you, you know, sitting there are, with one exactly. of my studio right now. So, yeah, yeah, and I feel like I have the Italian in my blood, even though I, you know, I do, but I, I wasn't born or raised here by any means. But I, when I come here, I feel it. I feel myself here. I feel like I have been here before. So when, I go, know, to, when I go on a press trip, it's a Monty, where are you going to? I'm going to go to France. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm going to go to Germany. Oh, okay, okay. When I say I'm going to go to Italy, can I come? Yeah, people, yeah. people love it. So they, they have a great platform. And um, Italian wines, that's why we're investing in it and we're promoting Italian wines in America because we know there's definitely a great market. But I think it's all coming together, all of us having one voice and promoting Italy as a whole. What about, um, you mentioned sort of younger generation that are more informed. Are they moving to slightly drier styles of, uh, of, white, of white wine? You know, sometimes you can have wines with a few grams of residual sugar in there. Is that change happening or not quite yet? Uh, it's definitely happening. And, the, and you're reacting to that? You're styling your wines a little bit differently? Yeah, really working on texture instead of um, just quickly giving it a little bit the of the sugar, yeah. the sweetness. Yeah. Because the key also, and my grandfather really believed this as well, is you want to go back and have another sip. If you have something that has too much of the resi- residual sugar, it gets cloying. It's like, mm, 
Yeah, that's one glass why is people enough. aren't drinking yeah. wine. You want it to be fresh and beautiful and light. And yeah, you want it to have personality as well. And you want it to have style. But sometimes you just really want to enjoy and um, not too high in the alcohol, which I think the Italians do extremely well. You know, still there's some beautiful wines out there that are not overblown on the alcohol. Unlike us Americans on the California side, you know, we've really pushed that um, alcohol up uh, probably way too much. Yeah. Stylistically, the wines I create, I'm more in the European fashion. I definitely tend to be under 13 or 13. Grams I don't like to push it too yeah. much. Yeah, alcohol. 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 Yeah. I don't like to push it too high. What about China? Well, is that China, an important market for you? China is an important market, I would say, for everybody because how many billions and billions of people? And they really are into it. I think uh, what you see right now, the Australians have had great growth. They've kind of had that voice where they had the Chinese New Year in Sydney, and I think that helped. Where, yeah. But especially the Chinese, the Chinese market. Who do they love? They love the Italians. You know, but I think it's they love the fashion, they love the the food. But then maybe do they even know a lot of these Italians are making some outstanding, incredible wines? Maybe not. So how do they link that together? It's like, and you know what I think is great is in America, and I'm probably here too. It's about um, lifestyle. You know, wine. It's about uh, individuals, consumers, and our our consumers that are enjoying wine. They want to be transformed. They want the wine to transform them. So it's our you know, opportunity and our responsibility as producers and people that are selling and marketing wine to give that transformation to the individual that's enjoying the wine. Make it an experience. You know, not just how we grew up where it's at the table, it's with, you know, and, and in my generation, a lot of my friends' parents didn't even drink wine. But for me, every day, we had, there was wine at the table. It was almost, you know, the food was the most important, but the wine was always there as a added value and to share. You obviously work incredibly long days every single day and I'm going to put you on a desert island where you have the same workload and you can come home and you can only choose one bottle of wine for that desert island, one style. What would it be? Oh my gosh, one, one, one. You know, this is going to be an inter- easy interview, you know. I mean, you know, this is when we're really hitting the rocky patch. We've been getting on so well. I knew you were going to beat me up, Monty. I knew it. I knew it. You don't have to watch uh, it when you get stuck. I, know it's, I, know I love it's bubbles, I have to say. Right. And I we... think every country is making some great ones. France with Cremants, here with the Proseccos in the cooler regions. Champagne, forget about it, some of the great champagnes. But, you know, it's always hit and miss. You have to really understand and know. And you don't just have to pay for the big five big guys. You know, you can find these small producers that are fabulous. Now for us in California, and you know, we have Jay. Jay Wine, it's wonderful, sparkling, doing a great job there. So bubbles is always fancies my tongue I love bubbles but then when you say the only wine I would no just I mean it's just a style that's red. fine so, yeah. so you basically as a, a style of fizz is, is, is your thing is oh it? yeah I yeah. love and you, obviously you make fizz as a company right yes and, and the main markets for your fizz in the US is it like an east coast thing or a west coast thing or um, the main markets you're sparkling wine you know, it's uh, all over, really. No, it's a good question. Honestly, I'd say which was the bigger bigger area? Um, well, in La Marca, which is a Prosecco, that's on fire. That's yeah. really doing extremely well. So that's an Italian one, and that's b- by far our biggest, um, one of our biggest sellers. And Jay, you know, just yeah, catching yeah. on. Yeah. Listen, I know you've got a lot to do. Uh, we're very lucky to have you, multi-talented, running. You have the biggest, Gallo is the biggest privately owned wine company in the world, isn't it? Family owned. Family owned, yeah. Yep. Really kind of you to come and spend a little bit of time with us today. Fascinating talk to you. Next time we can talk, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a bit of a biodynamic, kind of organic uh, kind of guy. And um, next time we can talk a bit more about sustainability and that kind oh, of thing. Oh, I love it, because yeah. I'm a big fan of that too. Yeah. Big fan. But you didn't make me cry, so thank you, Monty. No, I just, <laughs> no, no, it was, no, it was, uh, it was, that was interesting. I mean, um, you know, California is, you often kind of think, oh, it's just California, but there's the subtleties and nuances of, 
I've, I've worked in Mendocino as well, of California. It's a massive area, as you well know, um, and you've got great brewers, you've got winemakers, you've got processors. Very, very complicated, um, mm-hmm. but it, obviously, but it works. But but a, a little bit of Italian, a bit of Italian limited. In Mendocino, I was a lot of Italian limited. The oh. old timers, you know, with their, with their um, farming very, very traditionally, wine was food, it was energy, it could keep them going, you know, mm-hmm. which is a good place to start, I think. And some great Chardonnays in Mendocino. Yeah. Some of the early days when I started making wine, I would never forget the Chardonnays there, and even then the Pinot Noirs too. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing a great job, Gina. Thank you very much. Thank you, Martin. Real pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thanks. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.